following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. So, um, uh, it, it's possible that we won't all fit. So, we're, we're working on a plan for that. Uh, one of the plans was that we would still like to have, uh, we will still be streaming the service, and we would like to have uh, a couple homes open that people could gather for a kind of a house church with a small group of 10 to 15 people. Uh, if you would be interested in doing that, uh, we, have, we have one. Uh, we could use a couple more. If you have a house that would hold 15 to 20 people uh, and parking, and you don't think your neighbors would get really angry if they all showed up on a Sunday morning, uh, contact us, uh, preferably right away. Like, not right now, but soon, because we need to be making plans for how this is going to work so we can let people know. And we will, we're going to have sign-ups so we can kind of know who's going to be where and, and how many. Um, but that's a, a praise, and we hope you're excited about worshiping together. I know I am. I love my little fan club here that's been coming every Sunday, but I uh, will be glad to see more people worshiping the Lord together, and I miss um, hearing you all sing. Uh, so this morning we are looking, uh, kind of continuing on at a... a uh, the teaching of Jesus as he sends out his, uh, his twelve as the first apostles, proclaiming Christ in word and deed. And um, so we're going to continue on as Jesus instructs them of how this is going to work. So let's read, uh, if you want to follow with me or read along at home, uh, from Matthew chapter 10, verses 16 through 33. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues. And you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake, to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say. For what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher, and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they malign those, who, those of his household? So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed, or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore. You are of more value than many sparrows. 
So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is at heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Uh, many years ago when I lived back in the United States, uh, I worked, uh, I was a counselor at a counseling clinic and the guy who was kind of our founder and mascot uh, was very famous for uh, books that he has written uh, written and work he had done in attachment disorder, but also in parenting. And they developed what's called Love and Logic. Some of you may have heard of it. And uh, Foster was a very good communicator, very funny, and he was in high demand. And even back, this was a very long time ago, he could charge outrageous amounts of money to go do his trainings. Um, and, and he was on high demand, and people wanted to hear him speak. And so he was always getting requests, but he couldn't fill all the invitations. So he would make, the, uh, make those available, some of his invitations available to those who worked with him in the clinic, that we could go teach for him, right? And so I was young and just getting started. I was about 30 years old, and I thought, this is going to be great. I'm going to go teach this material that I love, and I still teach it. And uh, I thought, this is going to be great, and I'm going to get to go be like Foster Klein. I'm going to get to be his representative. And uh, I remember my very first assignment when I, I got to go do this, uh, it was a group of school teachers, because it's parenting, but also classroom management stuff. And so it was this group of teachers that I was going to teach love and logic, and I was so excited. And uh, I thought, this is going to be great. Uh, they're they're going to be so excited to learn what I have to share, and I'm going to revolutionize their classroom, right? Well, uh, as it turns out, they were not excited. And I got there, and these were like the most angry-looking people I had ever seen in my life. And, of course, the first problem was I was not Foster Klein, right? I don't know if they were expecting him, but I was not the famous guy. I was some, like, flunky, right? Uh, second problem is they had to be there at the end of their school day when they all wanted to go home, and they, you know, they were forced to this uh, training. And then the third problem was that here's this 30-year-old kid telling them how to do their job. And I, I didn't realize that everybody did not love this subject as much as I did. I wasn't as excited about it. Uh, and it really was one of the most painful hours of my life, trying to teach this group of angry teachers who really didn't want to hear anything I had to say. Well, uh, that's exactly what, what the disciples are about to walk into in, in, John, in Matthew chapter 10. Um, Jesus has been uh, traveling around, and Jesus is the guy. And Jesus has been very successful, and he's been doing miracles, and he is drawing these huge crowds, right? And it's going, it seems like it's going really well, and Jesus seems to be very popular, and people are flocking to hear what he says. And now Jesus turns to his disciples and says, I'm, I'm sending you out as, as the twelve, and you're going to be my representatives. You're going to take my work and my ministry, and you're going to go do the same thing. And the disciples, I'm sure, were thinking, hey, this is going to be cool. We're going to go, and, and people are going to love us just like they love Jesus. And it's going to go really well, and people are going to just flock to hear us teach this great stuff. Um. But of course we know, and, and, and so Jesus instructs them, he says, beware. He says, watch out, because this is not going to go like you think it will. Uh, first of all, they weren't Jesus. And second of all, they, they didn't see that uh, on the surface, the Israelites were drawn to Jesus. But as time would unfold, we all know that uh, there, there grew this opposition to Jesus. And of course, uh, down the road... That opposition would so grow, grow so great and the resentment so much that they would actually 
uh, nail Jesus to the cross. They would kill him. And so Jesus is, is warning his disciples that it's not going to be what they think. And not only for these twelve, but clearly as we go through this teaching, uh, the sphere and, and scope of it spreads out beyond just the twelve to other disciples and beyond that time after Jesus dies when the church would be taking uh, the gospel message out to the world. And Jesus uh, gives these words for his disciples, but really even more so for us and for subsequent disciples, that, uh, that there would be a persecution, that there would be opposition, that this message was not going to be popular or, or uh, widely received. Right? It was going to be hard. And of course, we know this. We could, have, we could have told the disciples, you don't know what you're walking into here. There's angry people out there who do not love Jesus, who do not love you, and who do not love the gospel message. Uh, I remember I, I learned this very early when I was a kid in grade school. And some, some of my friends at school found out that on Sundays I went to church. And man, did they mock and harass me. And it was just words, and they probably thought they were being funny. But it made me feel stupid and ashamed to be a Christian. And it was painful. Um, Some of you may have experienced rejection by your very own family when you came to Christ. Uh, You may have had friends who turned their backs on you because you follow Jesus. I know some of you have got kicked out of countries. Um, You've been drugged and interrogated by police, uh, sometimes for days on end, sometimes weeks on end, because of your testimony for Jesus. And of course, in in the world today... um, People are still being put in prison and even killed because of their witness for Jesus. And and so Jesus is warning. He says, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be careful. Be careful. So how how are we to do this? Um, How are we to be effective witnesses in a world that does not want our message? Um, That is, is, in fact, quite opposed to the message of the gospel. How can we be effective witnesses to people who don't want to hear what we have to say? Well, Jesus has a plan, uh, and uh, not all of the plan is in this verses, but he's, he lays out some basic principles of how we are to be an effective witness in the, in the midst of, ex, of opposition and persecution and rejection. Um, so let's, let's look at the passage and see what Jesus has to say. And first we need to do a little bit of background, back up just a little bit. And uh, be reminded that um, our witness to Christ is central to discipleship. And, and, and in other words, it is not an optional thing. Like, we can't say, well, I'm going to be a Christian, but I don't want to be one of those Christians who's like out there telling people about Jesus. Right? Uh, that, that's, it's a package deal. And to be a follower of Christ, as we saw last week, uh, we follow him, we become a disciple, not to be a spectator, and and cheer Jesus on, or cheer the pastor on, or cheer missionaries on. But we come disciples to ultimately be sent as witnesses into the world. Uh, Jesus said it in Acts 1.8, where he said, You will be my witnesses in in Jerusalem, Judea, and all Samaria to the ends of the earth. And it's a package deal. It is the expectation of Jesus. It is the central purpose of a disciple, to be a witness um, but for some of us, uh, we, we've kind of got maybe the wrong idea about this because maybe we grew up in, in churches or in backgrounds where being a witness was very narrowly defined. And that was certainly the case for me. I came to uh, really be a, a committed follower of Christ at a very fundamentalist Baptist church, and I'm very thankful for that church. Um, 
But, but they were really all about, like, out there kind of evangelism. They were all about soul winning and about bringing people to Jesus, which is a good thing. Uh, but for them, this usually meant an, unis- um, uh, an attack on unsuspecting victims where you would hurl track, Bible tracts at them or beat them over the head with the King James Bible. Now, I'm not, I'm not criticizing that. They actually, they, for, for them, it oftentimes was effective. And it's amazing how many people when you assault with with the King James Bible will surrender and say, okay, yeah, like, I'll do it, right? Um, It it did work for them. Uh, But for for many of us, we we think about, and that's what we think of witnessing, like going out cold turkey, accosting people we don't know, and having these engaging conversations where we tell them that they're dying and go to hell and Jesus is their only hope. Again, I'm not criticizing that, and if you're gifted to do that, or called to do that, more importantly, it can be effective. But for all of us, that's not necessarily how it's going to work, right? For many of us, that's uh, not our personality, and um, or we may be in context where that could actually be quite dangerous. And as we'll see in a minute, Jesus is telling us to be witnesses, not to be stupid, right? Uh, and so we'll see that in a minute. Um, but, but what does it mean? What is the core of what it means to be a to be a witness. Uh, well, uh, a witness is a little different than an evangelist. Some, some are gifted in evangelism. Some are, are called to a special ministry of evangelism. Um, and, and, and others may not, right? You may not be gifted as an evangelist. You, you may not be called to that. But we are all called to be witnesses. And a witness is, is essentially somebody who makes Jesus and the gospel known to those who don't know him in word and deed. Right? In word and deed, we are doing things, we're living in a certain way that we are making Jesus known to the people around us. In other words, we're, we're not, our, our faith, our, our, our trust in Jesus, our relationship with him is not a secret. It's public. We, we live in a relationship with Jesus in a way that others are aware of it. And they see it in our life. Right? Um, and there's many ways to do that. Uh, but essentially it has to do with, with uh, probably more, much more with how we live and what we do um, than it does with, with uh, throwing Bible tracts at people. Again, not criticizing that, but um, our lifestyle needs to back it up. So uh, how we live, what we say, how we say things, and, and even the attitude with which we display what we're doing and, and what we're saying are part of our witness uh, and, and Jesus makes it clear in this passage that actually uh, one of the most significant ways that we will be a witness is by how we deal with persecution and hardship. Right? When they oppose us, how do we deal with it? In verse 17 he says, Beware of men, beware of people, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues. And you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and to the Gentiles. Uh, There really is something where our actions can speak super powerfully when we are being attacked and and opposed and even persecuted for our faith, how we respond to that persecution. Right? Do uh, Do we respond with anger and defensiveness and and counterattack? Or do we... Uh, witness to the life-saving power of Christ in our, in our attitude, in our heart, in our actions. And that's what they were to do. They were to be witnesses even to kings by their lifestyle. And it's true that many times actions can speak louder than words. 
Uh, not that we never speak the truth of Christ, not that we never proclaim what Jesus did, but our actions are also an important part of it. I just heard recently of a friend of ours who uh, was, had been a nurse for 18 years at a hospital, uh, and this hospital recently changed its policy uh, so that now the hospital can perform and are actively performing abortions. And uh, she, as a Christian, could not work there anymore. And so she had to go to her boss and to all of her coworkers and say, look, I can't, I can't work here because this goes against my, my convictions as a follower of Jesus. Right? Uh, she wasn't preaching at them. She wasn't throwing Bible verses at them. But by her choice, she was being a witness that following Jesus uh, is different. And, and it, it impacts our life. And it was a witness. Now, it doesn't mean that they liked it. It doesn't mean that people applauded her. In fact, some probably thought she was stupid. But it's a witness, right? She is putting out there and making Jesus known by her actions and by her life. So, so we do, uh, and, and perhaps one of the most significant ways that we are witness, uh, a witness is by the way we handle difficulty and persecution and suffering. Uh, do we grumble and complain and grow bitter? Why does the, and, and I hear this. I hear this from Christians and missionaries. Grumbling and complaining about the Thai government and their policies about visas and work permits or this or how they're handling the, uh, the COVID virus, right? Uh, that grumbling and complaining is a negative witness against Christ, right? But we are to be a positive witness. Uh, when we encounter these difficulties, we are to be joyful praising God that we are counted worthy to suffer for the sake of Christ. Uh, and that is our witness. So, so our witness is really about our whole life. Our whole life is to be, in, in essence, an open book that, that uh, makes Jesus known and makes the gospel known. Uh, we are to live in our, our life in a way that's not private but public and that we're showing Christ through our life and through our words and through our actions. Um, but if we're honest, we all know that we, we feel this pressure of, of opposition. And oftentimes we are very reluctant witnesses. And I know for myself, I am a super reluctant witness. There's, there's much about being a witness I don't like. And it's very tempting to just say, I'm just going to keep quiet. I'm just going to live my life in private. And I'm not going to rock the boat. Uh, because we don't like being outside of what's popular. And in the world, especially the Western world today, uh, where many of us have grown up and been deeply influenced, um, there, there's a, a high value. In fact, I would say it's probably one of the highest values of modern society. And that value is this. It is the value of tolerance. Right? There is this expectation that you need to be tolerant of everybody's views and their opinions and their ideas. Right? Now, there's a, certain, uh, there's a certain truth to this. We as Christians should be accepting of people regardless of their lifestyle or their beliefs or their convictions. Um, but the world doesn't just mean that. They don't just mean accepting people and loving them regardless of their lifestyle or what they do, uh, loving them as a human being. What they mean is that people have a right to their own ideas and opinions, and if you have a different opinion, right, you hate them. That's kind of the thing, that's kind of where it's gone now. Right? If, you, if you in any way contradict their ideas by saying, well, I don't think that's true. Like if you have a different opinion from them on, on some issues, it's considered to be hateful and intolerant. And uh, 
while tolerance is the highest value of society in the modern world, or one of, um, there's one thing they are not tolerant of, and that is people who they view as being intolerant, right? All right so, so as Christians, we are automatically set up for a no-win situation here, right? Because the truth is, the gospel is exclusive, right? The gospel says, no, what you're doing is sin, and the only way to deal with that is through Jesus, right? And that, that is viewed by our world to be intolerant. So there's huge pressure on us from our society uh, to keep our opinions and our ideas to ourselves, right? To, to, not, uh, to not quit your job because the hospital you're in is having abortions, is performing abortions, right? Um, and so Jesus says, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. And that, and that is very true for us in our day. That we, not, we may not be burned at the stake for our faith or put in jail, but I guarantee you in the world we live in, if you go out there and you say, there is, there is only one way of salvation, and that's in Jesus Christ alone, you'll be considered by uh, many people to be hateful and intolerant uh, and some kind of bigot, right? Because of your views, right? And they will not tolerate uh, they will not tolerate you, right? And none of us wants to be there. None of us likes to be hated or rejected or persecuted for our beliefs. Um, so, but 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 Jesus says this is this is this this is the deal, right? This is the thing. You are being sent out as sheep among wolves, uh, and I'm thinking like that's a really bad idea, Jesus. <laughs> like, why can't we at least have like a sword, like? Like, send you out with sheep with a sword among wolves, right? Or I'm, I'm going to send you out a sheep, but with really big ram's horns that you're just going to blow away these wolves, right? No, no. He has a picture of a, a pretty helpless, innocent sheep that's going to get eaten by the wolves. And he says, this is what it is. This is the deal you signed up for. I am sending you out as sheep among wolves. And we say, I thought the job of the shepherd was to protect the sheep. But here the shepherd is sending the sheep out into the enemy, to the, to the very ones that will eat them. Uh, if you don't believe it, he says in verse 21, Brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child. And children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. Right? People everywhere are going to hate you because you are following Jesus and because you are a witness for him. Uh, well, one thing we have to answer before we go further is what right does Jesus have to make such a radical claim on our life? Like if I were, if I were to say this, look, as members of CCF, I'm sending you out to attack uh, the Thai police, right? And it's probably going to get you killed. And you would all say like, uh, yeah, and who are you, right? Who are you to tell us to put our life at, at risk? Uh, and I'm pretty sure none of you would, would do it, right? None of you would put your life on the line for me. And you shouldn't, right? But Jesus makes this claim. Uh, he tells us to take great risk and to put our lives out there in great danger for his sake, right? He says specifically, for my name's sake, you will do this. Well, what right does he have to make such a claim? Well, it's only a reasonable, reasonable demand if Jesus is truly God. And not only that, but but God who came in human flesh to go to the cross to die for us and to save us, right? Uh, 
It is because it is his mission to bring salvation and redemption to the world. And he is the only way. If there was another way, um, if every religion could find their way somehow to God, we wouldn't have to take such extreme measures. But, but Jesus can make this claim because he is the only way. Right? There is salvation in no other name besides Jesus. And he gave his life for us. And so it is right for him to call us out to be witnesses in spite of the dangers and the risk. But he's not sending us out as sheep without a plan. Right? And the rest of what he talks about here is his plan, how, how this has got to work. He says, look, you're going out as sheep among wolves. It is kind of a bad idea, but I'm going to give you some help to make this work. Right? Uh, he's not saying, I want you to just go out there and die. Right? That's not the goal, because uh, dead people tend to be pretty ineffective witnesses. I mean, it's good when you die, but then the ongoing effect, you kind of lose it. Right? You can't go be a missionary to other place once you're dead. And so he's not saying, just, just go out there and get, and get yourself killed, right? No, he's saying, beware. Be on your guard. Be careful because you're going out as sheep among wolves. Uh, and so, so here's some suggestions or some um, help that Jesus gives, some things you need to know. And the first thing, the first thing he says is you need to be clever. Okay, you need to be really clever here. Uh, verse 16, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so, be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Right? Uh, the word wise is actually not the best translation in this verse. And it's not the word Sophia, like we know the word Sophia is the Greek word for wisdom. That's not the word that's used here, it's a different word. And it really has more the idea of being shrewd or clever or cunning. And uh, the, the context even gives it more meaning because he says you need to be clever like a serpent. Right? And the serpent in the Old Testament, because it deceived Eve, had come to have a reputation of being sneaky, of being cunning, of tricky, of, of clever and shrewd. Right? And he says, look, you're sheep. You're no match against a wolf with its teeth. So you need to go out there and you need, you need to be clever. Right? You need to be cunning. You need to be shrewd as you go out. In other words, Jesus says, I don't want you to just go out there and slap the, slap the wolf in the face and say, ha, eat me. <laughs> right? That's being stupid. Right? And, and Jesus is not telling you to be a stupid witness. Right? He's telling us to be clever. I think I've told the story before about when I, when I was a kid, uh, one of my dad's friends would come to our house. He was terrified of our dog. And so whenever he'd come visit our house, he'd always stop at the butcher shop first and get a big bag full of uh, bones. And he'd pull up in our driveway and he'd roll down his window and he'd start pitching uh, bones out the window and our dog would, would, would be distracted. So he, he would get out and uh, the dog wouldn't bother him. Right? He was being clever. He was being sneaky. Right? And, and Jesus is telling us the same thing here. Like, you're not, armed with, you're not armed with swords, but at least you could be armed with bones. Right? Uh, you could be armed with things to uh, be smarter than the wolves. Uh, but, but he balances out because this could go in a bad direction. Like cunning and, and shrewdness uh, can easily fall into out-and-out out out deceit and treachery. So he says, be, be wise as serpents, but be innocent as doves. Right? Um, the word there, innocent, means to be without guilt or without guile or without, uh, 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 without doing wrong. Right? 
uh, we, we are to still be holy and do right. And, and the dove is a picture of, of humbleness and harmlessness. We are to stay sheep, right? This morning I was joking with Nathan. This morning, could we sing uh, at least one, one stanza of onward Christian soldiers marching out to war? Uh, that's, that's really not the intent here, right? And, and actually the church oftentimes has lost its witness because we've grown fangs and swords and we've become wolves instead of sheep, right? Part of our witness is being sheep among wolves, right? It's being weak and helpless and, um, and, and being Christ in, in a gentle and humble way as Jesus was, right? Uh, so, so we need to be cunning, shrewd, clever, creative, but never guilty of sin, right? We're not deceiving people, but we need to be smart, right, about how we do this. And we need to use our, our brains because uh, we are outmatched in terms of the risk that's before us. Uh, and so we need to be careful. Now, I would, love to, I would love to hear at this point insert some really great practical applications of how you in your context could be cunning as you share the gospel to be a witness. The problem is, uh, for one, I don't know all of your context. And for two, some of you live in, and work in very difficult contexts. You work in that great country to the north where it's very complicated, right? And, and, and you're, you're working against uh, wolves who have tracking devices and face uh, recognition technology and spies, right? And so uh, not only are they wolves, but they also are cunning, more cunning, right? And so um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't uh, even try to, to say how you need to, to negotiate, even in Thailand, um, being a witness in a way that's cunning, that's clever, that's effective, but pure. But I think it's good to have this discussion. How do we keep ourselves in closed and hostile countries where we need visas and government permission uh, from the very people who don't want us here, right? from the very people who are opposed to our message? How do we do that? And I think uh, we need God's help and wisdom to, to navigate that. Um, Jesus gives them more wisdom, though. So we need to be, we need to be clever and, and, and wise and, and innocent. But he also says in verse 23, When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. And not only do we need to be clever, but we also need to know when it's time to run. Right? Like the old Kenny Rogers song, Know when to hold them, know when to fold them, know when to walk away, know when to run. Right? And Jesus is not saying that you are to be witnesses no matter what until they kill you. Right? He says, no, if, if they're persecuting you, run, flee. Right? No one has time to get out of there. Uh, uh, and again, uh, we need God's guidance for that. And, and sometimes people are not allowed that. Like We in the West oftentimes have those freedoms. Not everybody does. But if it's possible for you to flee... And, and it's that dangerous. There is a time when, when we leave, right? But we don't leave to give up. He says we need to flee and, and go to the next town. Go to the next place. Keep being a witness, right? And of course, he's speaking here to the, to the twelve. Uh, and he specifically says, uh, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel, specifically Galilee, before the Son of Man comes. He says, look, you have your work cut out for you, you twelve. Uh, just reaching the towns around Israel. Um, the phrase, before the Son of Man comes, 
uh, is a theological uh, landmine. Uh, I don't have time to unfold the whole argument, but I think uh, the best things that I have read and that I would, uh, I think, make the most sense is that when he says, before the man, Son of Man comes, uh, our post-Jesus, post-resurrection, post-Bible uh, theology, we automatically assume that that means before Jesus comes back to earth. But actually, this is a phrase or a quote from Daniel chapter 7. And in, in Daniel chapter 7, the coming was not to earth, but actually coming back to the throne of God in heaven. Right, so... Jesus here is saying before the Son of Man uh, comes to his throne to his rightful uh, authority that God will give him when he takes his kingdom when he ascends and takes the throne in heaven right? which that happened shortly, shortly after the resurrection and probably given the context what Jesus is saying here is that in 70 AD the Romans are going to come and, and your opportunity for reaching villages in, in Israel are going to be over Right? Uh, judgment is going to come on Israel and that opportunity, that window is going to be closed. But until then, uh, if persecution comes in, in one place, flee to the next and keep going so that you can keep that witness spreading to the places who have never heard. And the same is true for us. Uh, we still have many regions and places and peoples and communities where the gospel is not known. Right? And that's why we're here in Thailand, because it's one of those places where countless millions have never heard. And there are plenty of opportunities right here. But if, if someday we are kicked out of Thailand, if we have to flee, uh, there are other places. Right? There are other places. The opportunities will never end before Jesus returns. That is certain. Second thing we need to do is we need to, uh, we need to be clever. Second, we need to be confident. Right? We go out with a certain degree of confidence. And that confidence comes in, in God's help along the way. Uh, verse 19 says this, When they deliver you over to be uh, flogged and to be tried and to be persecuted, when the rulers uh, capture you, do not be anxious about how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. That's amazing uh, news for us, right? I don't know about you, but I don't feel like I'm all that clever. In fact, I don't really feel all that clever or smart at all. And if it's up to me to be clever, to outsmart the wolves, I personally feel like I'm in serious trouble because I don't feel very clever or cunning or shrewd. Um, in fact, I tend to be kind of naive and gullible, honestly, right? Um, but, uh, and, and certainly the disciples and the early Christians would have felt that way. Many of them were uneducated. And to be drugged before kings and, and rulers and people with great power and education, um, thinking, How am I, what am I supposed to say? Right? That was a great worry for them. Maybe they worried more about that than actually uh, being punished or killed. Right? Like, I don't know what to say. But Jesus says, don't worry about it. I will help you. Right? I will give you what to say at, the, at that moment. Uh, and that's true for all of us. Uh, we, ha- are, we are assured from God that he will help us uh, navigate this very complicated um, task of being witnesses as sheep among wolves. 
One of the best examples of this is in Acts 23, where Paul finds himself uh, arrested and drugged before uh, uh, the, the Sadducees and the very group that Jesus is talking about here. Drugged before the synagogue, right? And they are accusing uh, Paul and they're upset because he's sharing the gospel. And it says in, in verse 6, Now when Paul perceived, uh, perceived that one group was Pharisees and the other were Sadducees, he cried out in the council, Brothers, I am a Pharisee, a son of Pharisees. It is with respect to the hope and the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial. This was genius, right? And I don't know if Paul came up with this on his own because he was pretty smart or if the Holy Spirit gave it to him. But the Pharisees and, and the Sadducees had their biggest division and debate over the issue of the resurrection. And it says, when he had said this, a dissension arose between the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the assembly was divided. Then after a bunch of clamor and fighting and division, um, some of the scribes of the Pharisees stood up and contended sharply, we find nothing wrong with this man. What if a spirit or an angel spoke to him? <laughs> we like this guy. Right? Paul is genius, right? And he actually gets out of this mess by causing them to have such a fight that they ended up, end up letting him go. Right? Brilliant. That's being uh, wise as serpents. Right? And, and God promises to give us those answers uh, and, and those words at just the right time. But he doesn't give us these words or these answers or this help so that we would avoid persecution or hardship. Right? It is instead so that we can be effective witnesses in the midst of hardship. Right? He does not promise to rescue us or to deliver us from persecution. But he promises to help us be effective witnesses in the midst of persecution. And so the third bit of help that he gives us in, in verse 22 is that we need to endure to the end. Right? We need to endure, persevere to the end. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, verse 22. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Endurance, endurance means being faithful and steadfast to the end. That we maintain our witness for Jesus to the very end. Right? We do not deny him. We do not backtrack. We do not hide our faith. We are steadfast in making him known to the very end. Even if that end means physical death or all kinds of hardship and suffering. Right? He says we are to persevere. And he ties us with our salvation. He says if we, if we don't endure to the end, we put our very salvation at stake, at risk. And we'll come back to this in a minute. Um, but it's good to keep in mind that endurance implies that there is an end. Right? There's a goal. There's a finish line. And I remember back when I used to run marathons, uh, I would get towards the very uh, last few miles, and it really was just every step my body would scream out, you're an idiot. Why don't you just stop? And all this pain would go away, right? And if I wanted to finish, I had to keep my mind on that finish line. And I had to keep telling myself, every step I take is one step closer to the finish. If I just keep at it, this will be over, right? And that's what we need to, to, to focus on, that there is an eternal finish line in heaven. And every day, every step we take, we come one step closer to that finish line. Right? And our salvation is there, and we need to persevere and endure to the end. And we will be saved. 
All right, so that's some of Jesus' wisdom. There's more there, and we could dive deeper into some of that, but uh, I don't want to skip the last section um, where Jesus shifts the focus a little bit. And he says, So then, in light of all that, uh, have no fear of them. Right? He says, do, do not be afraid. Do not fear. And what's important for us to understand is the greatest enemy we face is not the wolves. Right? The wolves are not the problem. Um, the wolves are not going to go away. And, and that's, not, that's not really what our problem is. Our problem is not the wolves. It is fear. Right? Isn't that what keeps us uh, from being out there, being a bold witness for Christ? We're afraid. Right? We're afraid. And so Jesus addresses our fear, and he has three words of encouragement uh, for, for why we don't need to fear and how we can overcome this fear by changing uh, and keeping the right perspective. We are called to be sheep among wolves, but we don't need to be afraid, even though it seems like a really bad idea and it's kind of insane. But we don't need to be afraid, and here's the three reasons why. First, he says, So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed. Nothing hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light. What you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. Um, first reason we don't need to be afraid is that one day everything is going to be visible, right? There will be no secrets. One day, uh, specifically on the, na- on the day of judgment, uh, all humanity will stand before Jesus as judge, and he is going to reveal all, right? Um, and this has all kinds of implications for us. I don't have time to go into all of them, but we need to think about this. When we stand before Jesus and he makes all things known, um, it's going to be known that you are a follower of Christ if you truly are. Everybody's going to know it, right? And there are going to be people who uh, you had the opportunity to witness to, right? People that you know who had the opportunity to see Christ in your life. And if you stand before God and God says, okay, all my Christian saints stand up and you stand up, and people who knew you look around and they say, what? They were a Christian? They knew the truth and they never bore witness to Jesus? Uh, that's going to be a sad day for us, right? And, and they, they will have um, accusations against us. Right? Um, but, but, but the opposite is also true. If we've been a faithful witness and we have let Christ shine through our life, that also will be revealed. And and even though uh, we are sent out as sheep among wolves and there will always be opposition, the truth is that there will also be those who come to Christ through our witness. That's the good news and that's the hope. right? And someday we will stand before Jesus and um, and it will be made known, it will be revealed how our life has touched those who have come to Christ through our witness. People we may may not even know. People who have come to Christ because they were watching us silently in the background and they saw how we handled persecution and hardship. They saw our attitude and our faithfulness and our love. And they were drawn to Christ, right? Because of our witness. Um, Maybe you know people who have, have come to Christ because you've had the opportunity to share Christ with them. Right? One day it's going to be made known. Right? And I don't know about you, but when we cross that finish line, I want to hear those words of Jesus, well done, 
my good and faithful servant. Right? You were a faithful witness and you made me known even when it was uh, painful and difficult. So he says, therefore, proclaim Jesus from the rooftops. Right? In other words, make it public. Don't proclaim him from your closet. Go on top of your house and shout it out. Make, make it public. Don't be afraid to let your light shine in a way that's visible to the world around us. Second reason we don't fear, uh, verse 28, And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Okay, second reason we don't need to fear is that uh, the worst man can do to us is, is kill us, right? And actually, um, that's not so bad because the truth is we're all going to die anyway. They're not doing anything to us that's not already going to happen. They just may be doing it uh, faster or in a way that's slightly more painful, <laughs> um, which, which there's some fear in that. I'll give you that. Uh, but that's not the greatest danger. He says, rather fear those who can destroy both the soul and the body in hell. We do stand before God and our soul, our eternal soul matters. And again, Jesus is connecting our witness to salvation. Right? We should fear that one day we will stand before God and He is the judge who can destroy both not only our body but our soul in hell. Right? Uh, and, and that has to do with us, but more so, uh, this should motivate us to see the world around. Right? The world around us uh, they may hate us, they may be wolves, but they are wolves whose souls are in danger of eternal judgment in hell. Right? And, and so we should have compassion on these wolves. And we should seek to shine Christ to them so that they have some hope of being delivered from the judgment that they are under. Right? And the only hope is our witness. We are the way that they are going to know Christ through our witness. Um, third thing, last thing. Uh, Jesus says, are, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Which is, I joke around all the time, is, a, is an ongoing job for the angels counting the, the constantly diminishing numbers of hair on my head, right? Got to update that spreadsheet like every day, right? But, but he's on it. God is on it, right? Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. Right? Many sparrows. Um, the thing is, we need to remember how much our Father cares for us. Uh, he's not just a God who's a judge. He is that. He's not just a, a judge who has the power to send body and soul into hell. But for us who know him, he is our Father, our Heavenly Father, who cares deeply for us, and we have immeasurable value to him. He says, look, a, a, a sparrow, and in, in, in that day, sparrows were sold at the market for a penny, and poor people would actually buy them for food. Tiny little birds, right? two of them for one penny. They were super cheap. But he says, but, but they, don't, they won't fall to the ground. They won't die apart from the Father's loving concern and care. God knows about it. He's concerned about it, even when the sparrows die. How much more valuable are you than many sparrows? Like, you've got to be worth at least 25 cents. Like, if a sparrow's worth a penny, 
Like, we've got to be worth at least a quarter. Actually, actually, way more than that, right? Much more. We, in fact, we are probably uh, worth so much that Jesus would die on the cross for us. That's how much we're worth. God would pay the price of his own son so that we could have life. Right? We are of immeasurable worth to him. And he cares for us. And it doesn't mean that he cares for us so much that he will never let anything bad happen. But he's already promised us that that's not the way it's going to be. Right? But he does care about us so much that when, when good or bad, uh, persecution or harm or opposition, he's with us. And he's walking with us through every difficulty. And he never abandons or forsakes us. He is a caring God who walks with us through every hardship. And he will help us uh, and care for us. And even in death, he will be there with us. Right? So, so we don't need to fear hardship or, or, or persecution or suffering for his sake. Because God is with us and he's caring for us. So the great conclusion of all this is, therefore, proclaim Jesus, right? Um, Verse 32, So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will deny before my Father who who is in heaven. And by the way, he's not talking here about a one-time case. Peter denied Jesus. But there was grace and forgiveness, right? We may fail at times. But uh, failing once is not the same as failing for a lifetime. To be a disciple is to have a lifetime of witnessing to him. Um, And we do that first because eternity is worth it. Right? It is connected to, our witness is connected to our salvation. If you deny me before men, I will deny you before my Father who is in heaven. Right? We can't be followers of Christ and not be witnesses. Right? They are tied together. Um... But he says, look, if you acknowledge me, if you let people see Christ in your life, I will acknowledge you before my Father as, my, as, as, a, as a joint heir with Christ of salvation. But we also, we, we do, so we, we, we do this, we proclaim Christ because eternity is worth it. But more than that, we proclaim Christ because Jesus is worth it. Right? Ultimately, because Jesus is worth it. Um, and here's the thing, suffering and persecution is not unique to Christians. You don't have to be a Christian to suffer or be persecuted or, or, or hit hardship. Um, life is hard and discouraging for even the most loved people in the world. Right? Even the most wealthy, famous people who seem to have everything going for them at best find life disappointing. And that's why they drink and do drugs and find other ways to escape because without Christ life is disappointing right and it's hard Um, so there is suffering and there is hardship and in eternity there will be suffering for those who don't choose Christ but we don't suffer just for the sake of suffering we suffer because we have a purpose that's worth it and that purpose is Jesus himself Right? He says, you'll be dragged before governor, governors and kings for my sake. For my sake. You'll be hated for my sake. Right? We do this for the sake of Jesus. Um, why? Well, because it is this Jesus who loved us and gave himself up for us. 
He, he suffered death and ultimate persecution for us. He came under the wrath of God for us so that we could be saved and have life in him. Why would we not want to do all we could for him? Um, and not only that, he is the only way of salvation. Uh, so he's worth it. And it should be to us a joy to suffer for him. Right? It should be a joy. So that's why the, uh, the disciples in Acts chapter 5, after they were beat and persecuted by the rulers in Jerusalem, it says in, in Acts 5.41, Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name of Jesus. Right? We, we should be celebrating this. Man, I got picked on for Jesus. This is awesome. Right? Because it's worship. Right? It is because Jesus is worthy. And one day we will stand before the throne and it will be worth it. Right? It will be worth it because we have suffered for the one who is worth it all in Jesus. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we do thank you that you are worth it. Uh, you are worth it because you gave your life for us. You did not shrink back from suffering or persecution or hate. You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org.